When we reached financial independence from our own portfolio, we had this big sort of question mark. We were pretty young. I was probably at maybe 32, 33. Nick was probably 35. We very much, you know, we love to work, right? I think most humans do love to work. Even those that, you know, reach that financial freedom, most still want to contribute to the world. And so we had to ask ourselves, like, well, what's next for us? And there was this big question mark of would we keep doing real estate investing? Would we keep growing the portfolio? Or would we say, you know, it seems like we have enough to you know, produce for our family and that's it. Hey there, I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why? Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Dr. Elaine Stagaborg. I hope I said that right. Um, she is an MD as well as having a master's in health administration and is a psychiatrist, mother of four, and owner of Black Swan Real Estate. She owns and manages a portfolio of over 300 million in assets under management. Um, I'm going to stop there, Elaine, because I want to, I just want to let you tell your story, let you kind of go through it in your own words. But first, I want to say thank you for taking the time out today to join me. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Um, I, I love the the thesis of this podcast, right? Because knowing our why is what gets us to anything in life, whether that's, you know, for you, veterinary school and real estate investing for me, medical school, real estate investing. So just happy to, you know, share what has propelled me along the journey. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's start by talking about that journey. Just kind of tell us about your background and uh, obviously, you know, doc doctor to uh, to real estate investors. So tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, certainly, you know, my day to day life today is very different than I might have expected, you know, seven or 10 years ago. Um, so I've been married for 12 years. My husband, Nick, and I have four children. We have a one year old, a three year old, a five year old and a seven year old. And I trained as a psychiatrist. And you know, as you mentioned along the way, I got my master's degree in health administration and policy. So had that business perspective as well. And then along the way, um, my husband and I knew very early in our marriage that we wanted to invest in real estate. You know, without getting into you know too many of the details, we both had pretty challenging childhoods. Our parents both, you know, on both his family and my family really struggled financially. And we saw that pain kind of day in and day out. So when we first met, we talked a lot about financial security and you know, learning these words at that time of like, well, what is financial independence and what is this financial freedom movement and those sorts of things. So we went to folks, you know, we, we couldn't go to our family to ask for advice on how to manage money as a, a newly married couple. So we went to other people in our lives, oftentimes like our friends' parents or people we met at work or those sorts of things. And we heard time and time again that folks were investing in real estate. And so we knew very early on in our journey that we too wanted to invest in real estate. We both owned our own homes before we got married. So we converted my home into a rental and moved into my husband's home. And I'll share there, you know, for, for the listener that even then, even knowing that I wanted real estate to be in my future and having, you know, a prime property right there, my mind still said no. My mind still said, well, we just got married. I'm about to quit my career to go to medical school. We're hoping a baby comes along. Let's sell this one and invest later, right? Like our minds are always finding ways 
to tell us no, to you know keep us in the cave, to keep us afraid. And I'm just so glad that you know things worked out that we kept that property as a rental. And then I saw that I really liked it. I saw that we were able to provide housing for folks and that we enjoyed managing it. And we enjoyed seeing the you know mortgage being paid down and the value going up. And so one thing led to another. We kept investing. And then you know, I'm sure we'll talk you know more about the journey on our time here together. But eventually my husband left his career in tech. I left my career in medicine, and now we run our company full time. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's interesting, a couple of things there. Like, I think the background of, of maybe coming from, you know, not coming from money, sometimes um, there, there's sort of two roads, routes, right? You can either sort of stay in that, that mindset, that, that sort of pathway, or it's almost like, I think sometimes that, you know, some people were, were almost like rebelling against our childhood in the sense that, I don't want to, I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be different. And I see real estate as the way to make it different. And once you get a taste of it, even with just, you know, kind of sometimes that accidental rental or something like that, like it's, it's very easy to believe in it once you realize that it, that it works and then kind of get, you know, you know drink the Kool-Aid or whatever you will get, get to that point where you're like, yeah, I'm in on this. But so this was happening while you were in med school, you had like, where in that journey did you go from sort of having this rent rental to saying, okay, we're going to make this a, a true business and, and uh, you know, your, your business is very large at this point. So how did you kind of make that switch? Excellent question. So our first property, um, we converted to a rental before I started medical school, the year before I started, but I knew that medical school was coming because I had been accepted. You know, there's just long latency periods on, on those cycles. And then it took us about three years to save up money because at that point, Nick was the only one with a salary. I joke I had a negative salary because we were paying for my yeah. tuition. So he was the only one with a salary. But at that point, we were pretty committed to buying what I call our first purposeful rental. So we had that first one where we were kind of accidental landlords and then our first purposeful rental. And we did a Burr business model. This was before Bigger Pockets, before Brandon Turner, before the word, you know, Burr was in the Burr lexicon. Yeah. But we saved up as much money as we could. It took about three years and we bought a foreclosure that had been vacant for nine years you know, all the hor you know, horrible things you can, you know, guess about that property were all true. We did basically a, a sweat equity remodel as much as we could. Of course, we had to hire professionals for things like the roof and the HVAC and plumbing. But as much as we could do ourselves, we learned right in that property. And then we did a cash out refi. And that was very much a magical moment in my life when we had the property that was very nicely renovated. We had a family living there. It was going to cash flow. We had all of the money that we had originally invested plus some. And there was just this like, ah, feeling of like, yeah. how did this happen? And how can I do this? over and over and over and over again. And so to this day, you know, all these years later, hundreds of millions in assets, every single project that we've done has been a Burr business model where we get to a cash out refi, recycle that capital, buy the next investment, and just do that over and over and over again to be in that infinite rate of return period as long as possible. We've never sold a single asset. And so along the way, we, you know, we took that bucket of money that we had from when we did that first Burr, we bought the next property, the next property, and then somewhere around when we had probably about 10 single family homes, people started coming to us and saying, hey, it seems like you've had a lot of success in real estate. How do we participate? 
And early on, we just worked with debt partners. So we just paid a, you know, a fixed 10% interest rate um, on single projects. And that was our way to kind of, you know, dip our toes into exploring working with investor capital. That felt very like safe and congruent for me that if we, you know, if anything were to not go well with that project, because you know, rehabs are pretty tough, that, you know, I was committed to paying those folks that, that fixed interest rate. And all of our projects did really well. And then, you know, we grew and grew and grew. We started doing joint ventures. Then we moved into our private equity model. And so it was all just kind of an organic unfolding of, you know, as we were building that train, building bigger and bigger tracks for the train to be on. Sure. So you, you've you never sold anything. All, all of this is still within the portfolio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the model is is a little different. The Burr model is is at this point fairly well described i understand that it wasn't necessarily this was like like house hacking like i was house hacking well before mm -hmm. it was a definition just because mm -hmm. i needed roommates to pay the mortgage like it wasn't i didn't yep. know that that was going to become a thing that people yep. would write books about but the the is the, the same thing right it, it's kind mm -hmm. of it's been going on people have been doing it you know in in these these cash out refis you essentially give put you at a point of uh, you know, what people talk about as is an infinite return, then like you've gotten all your cash back out. So, mm -hmm. but it is much less common to do that in like the multifamily world with syndication. With syndication, most of the time, you know, it's, it's, there's an exit strategy that comes three, five, seven, 10 years after purchase. It, I, I was hoping you could just kind of describe exactly what it looks like for you, you know, with your investors, how you, um, how you structure it. Cause I do think it's, it's a bit unique. Absolutely. Let's first talk about the why, right? Since that's the, the premise of the podcast here, when we reached financial independence from our own portfolio, we had this big sort of question mark. We were pretty young. I was probably at maybe 32, 33. Nick was probably 35. We very much, you know, we love to work, right? I think most humans do love to work. Even those that, you know, reach that financial freedom, most still want to contribute to the world. And so we had to ask ourselves, like, well, what's next for us? And there was this big question mark of would we keep doing real estate investing? Would we keep growing the portfolio? Or would we say, you know, it seems like we have enough to, you know, produce for our family and that's it. And we just loved real estate, you know, for, for the love of the game, for putting deals together. We're vertically integrated. We do all of our own renovations. We do all of our own property management. We invest locally. Two thirds of our portfolio is right here in Rochester, Minnesota, where we live. And so we drive by our projects. We see them. We see the change we're doing in the community. And so when it made sense to move to a private equity model, exactly as you say, you know, the typical model is, you know, all sorts of fees, prefs, waterfalls, catch-up prefs, and then a sale at year five. And that just didn't feel very interesting to me. And so I, I learned from a mentor, and I'm so grateful for this lesson. He said, do private equity in a way that makes sense to you. And that just clicked. And I thought, you know, the way that makes sense to me is the way that I built my own family's wealth which is through buying properties, fixing them up, doing a cash out refi, keeping them, benefiting from the cash flow, debt pay down and appreciation and tax advantages of that property, and then doing it again and again and again. And so that's how we created our private equity fund. And it is very different. As far as I know, you know we don't know of anyone in the country that has a, a private equity model exactly like ours, but it's how we built our own wealth. So, you know, very briefly, we have no asset management level fees whatsoever. So we have no capital event fee, loan recourse fee, 
asset management fee, disposition fee, we, we really think that fees at the GP level disalign behaviors between GPs and LPs. So we can only make money the same way our investors make money and after our investors make money. And then we you know, raise that capital, buy value-add projects, do all those renovations. 100% of all of our profits go back to our partners until they're completely repaid. Again, we just always felt like that was the right thing to do, to de-risk our partners as quickly as possible and to put their needs ahead of our own. And then after that, when our investors get to $0 that are left in the deal, they stay in the deal indefinitely. We tell people to plan for about a 20 to 25-year uh, holding period that will have all of those assets. And in that infinite rate of return period, we have a 50-50 split where we share out future cash flow, future cash out refis that we're able to do if we're able to do subsequent phases of renovation or just allow market appreciation and then sell all of those assets at the end, distribute out all the equity, and then the fund is officially closed. And it just seemed so intuitive to me that if I was going to help other people with their wealth, I would do it in the same proven model that had worked for my wealth. And so kind of the, the lesson I have there for listeners is if like if you're thinking about something whether it's in real estate investing or your career or some product idea you have like even if it's not been done before add value to the marketplace like add innovation add what pulls you what makes it exciting for you if we had done if we had like been forced to do private equity with the typical model we probably wouldn't have because it just it wasn't very interesting to me to own assets for a few years and then just keep cycling them it was only interesting for me to do it in this extreme ownership stewardship way of owning them indefinitely. And so we just created that and we love it. Investors love it. And it's just, it's been such a win-win opportunity for everyone. Yeah. I, it, it is a very appealing business model. I, and I think it's an interesting, it, 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 I love the idea of just kind of thinking about doing it differently than sort of everybody else is doing it. Um, and I, I think that there's, a lot of, I, I guess, you know, maybe it takes some investor education or something like that if it is a little bit different. But at the end of the day, you can certainly show to them, like, here's the value in the in the structure that we're, we're we have. This is what's different about it. This is why we enjoy it. Um, the I, my one question about like this this particular business model, same as like I guess as it would be with a burr, is what if and I don't know how you're structuring your debt and things like that, but like, what if you get to a point like now where we're in a little bit of a down market and your plan was to do a cash out refinance, but maybe not the equities that like, maybe there's not enough equity that you thought would be there. How does it work then? I guess that's always been like my question in, in something like that. And it would be the same on like a single family burrs. Like how do we decide that, it, it, and again, I guess if you have, you've structured it in a way that's kind of long-term debt, you can just do it whenever it's the right time. But I'm just, I'm just curious how you um, approach that, like a down market type scenario. Yeah, ex excellent question. So one of the beliefs that we have is we have all fixed rate debt in the entire portfolio. So all through the years of, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, we avoided variable rate debt. We just had this intuitive sense that interest rates would not stay that low forever. So we have all fixed rate debt in the entire portfolio. 
we also invest in markets where the prevailing cap rate is about a five or maybe a six cap. So that's a big part of being able to do that cash out refi strategy. So we're in Rochester, Minnesota and Tacoma, Washington. And because we're at that five or six cap market that generally allows us to get an 80% LTV or maybe a 75% LTV loan, like right at our time of acquisition, we try really hard to get a construction loan if the renovations will be extensive. And then because of those numbers, we only need to grow the value of the property about 20% in order to be able to do a full cash out refi. So this model would not work very well in a very, very low cap rate environment, say like a two or a three cap, where the LTV is something like you know 55 or 60%, because someone would need to improve the value of the property like 50% in order to be able to overcome that you know equity hurdle that they would need to do to get the cash out refi. So that's part of it is that we've chosen markets where this model is likely to succeed because of the prevailing cap rate. But to speak to your question of, you know, even in this cap rate market, it's certainly possible that values could go down. If that happens, there's still a great deal of safety because the property's cash flow. And so kind of the worst case scenario, if you would, is that it would take longer for us to return investor capital, but it would be very, very challenging to lose investor capital because you can't really lose investor capital if you're not selling, right? So the value right. is just that number on the spreadsheet. It's not really the actual value until the day of sale. So that's you know a big part of the safety of the structure overall. And then we give all of our profits back to our partners until they're completely repaid. So you know every dollar that we return to our investors, they have lower and lower risk in the deal. What we've been able to do in the last year or so as interest rates have gone up so you know dramatically, you know, we still have projects that we acquired in 2019, 2020, 2021 that it's time to do the cash out refi as we've finished those large renovations. And so what we've done is all of our bankers are local regional banks. We don't work with any large banks, national banks, Fannie, Freddie. They're all local regional banks that we have personal relationships with these folks. And we went to them and we said, hey, Jason, you know that our business model is a cash out refi model. We've finished the renovations on this apartment building. We'd like to do a cash out refi. There's no way we want to get rid of that, say, 3% fixed rate debt that we put on a few years ago. That would be crazy to give away that, you know, really lovely interest rate. Let's put a second on the property at, you know, whatever the interest rates are at that time, five and a half, six percent, so that we can unlock that equity at a higher interest rate, but we're still able to unlock that equity to get the, to that infinite rate of return. And then our blended interest rate across, you know, in that project is, you know, maybe four or four and a half percent. So we've had a great deal of success with that, with all of the projects that we've needed to do a cash out refi during this rising interest rate period is doing second mortgages on the properties. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great idea. It's a great strategy. And the, the, the point you made, I've, I've funny, funny enough, found myself saying this a lot lately, probably because of the interest rate environment, but it basically like in real estate, you haven't, you haven't made or lost any money other than the cash flow, like unless you have a capital event, whether it's a refinance or a, a sale, right? So if the values go down and you don't have to sell, you haven't lost anything. Like you That's just, right. it's, it's just on paper. It's all just so, on a spreadsheet. Right. It's, and so it's just like, it's just, just, it's just time. And um, I think that that's, you know, using your local banks, that sort of thing that that's, but, but using that sort of blended um, interest rate model, I, I mean, it, it's a good solution to that problem. And I think 
it, again, it it speaks to like the power of just holding on long term because it's like okay, here we are. We, we take out as much as we can to still be cash flowing on this second mortgage. It's going to be a much smaller portion of the overall debt on that uh, asset. And then, you know, we can return another chunk of capital to investors and continue to cash flow. I mean, I think it's it's something that, you know, people that are, um, you know, maybe maybe even from a passive investor standpoint, like that get worried about investing because of the interest rates right now. Like, like this is why people can still be successful in real estate is because of creative things like this or because the interest rate is just one number on the spreadsheet. It's it's just something to, it's the thing that makes headlines uh, and nobody wants higher interest rates on their debt, but like, that's not the only thing that matters. And, and I think, you know, <laughs> you're doing other things to maybe offset that. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned the markets that you're in. Those are not the markets that everybody talks about doesn't mean that you can't <laughs> make money there, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the, it, it's like means less competition. It, you know, I live mm-hmm. in California, people, right? People bash on investing in California. And I was like, there's plenty of people here owning real estate that are very, very wealthy. Like it's, it's a different market with a different strategy. And it's just, I think, um, you know, sort of recognizing that in, 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 you know, sort of each market's going to have its own challenges and just knowing like, this is what my challenges yeah. are here. And this is what I've, you know, the strategies I've developed to, to face them. So yeah. we, we, we've always been big believers in really having expertise in a small number of markets. So Rochester, Minnesota is home of the Mayo Clinic. I trained here as a psychiatrist. That's how we ended up here. About 150,000 people, third largest city in the state of Minnesota. And we are the largest housing provider in all of Southeastern Minnesota. And so because of that, we dominate this market. So, you know, there's other cities that are all over, you know, newsletters and other things from, you know, other syndication groups. No one else is investing in Rochester, Minnesota. And so we're able to have excellence here and get deals and have, you know, great relationships with with brokers and bankers. And we're building that same expertise in Tacoma. You know, we we just intuitively had a sense that we would rather have a small number of markets where we're, we dominate those markets than being kind of spread all across the country. And then we're also vertically integrated. So we do our own property management. And that's really only possible if you have a large number of assets in a small geographic area so that you can get those economies of scale. Like this year, we're bringing snow clearance in in our portfolio. So we're getting rid of all of our third party vendors and we're doing our own snow clearance. You really only can do that if you can have you know a small team driving to all the properties with the plow and the shovels. But that eliminates one of the major costs in the portfolio that can keep that at the asset level. And because we're at about a five cap market, that's like $20 of asset value for every dollar that we save in snow clearance. So that's a win-win deal. And that helps us to get to our cash out refi faster and then share that profit out with our partners. And so we we just had this you know intuitive sense that we wanted to be dominant players in a very small number of markets and to, to be in the blue ocean. Yeah. You just said something that makes me like... <laughs> struck me um as just another like very valuable piece in terms of the you know the local bank relationships and being being in that market and and kind of kind of the way you structured everything and you said you know your uh every dollar you save on snow removal is going to be a 20 dollar on the value but 
when you're going to your local bank and they know and trust you and you've worked together a long time and you're saying, hey, look, this is this is where our value is now that we'd like to get you know this, this cash out refinance based on this valuation, they're going to be probably pretty, pretty, unless you're be doing something sort of saying something crazy, like they're going to be pretty amenable to say, yeah, we believe that that your $1 saved in snow is, is worth $20, that kind of thing. If you are in a market where you're trying to exit and you're trying to sell and there's every person trying to buy that is going to be saying, well, no, I'm still going to have to hire someone to have that snow removed. So that value isn't there for me. And they're, they're going to look for all those peaks because that's what you do when you buy. Like you're looking for the, the pieces that you can point to to maybe make your purchase price lower. But you're not going to run into mm -hmm. those roadblocks in your model because you're not really trying, you're not trying to sell it. You're just trying to you know, sort of mm -hmm. find another way to pull some cash out of the property. So it, it's, I don't know, it it struck me as you were saying it. I was like, yeah, that's not going to fly if you're selling it. But that's really, right. really right. smart if you're, if you're yep. just, you know, refinancing with your local bank that you already have done this over and over again with. So I, I, that it's really... Yep. I think just another thing people like listening that are, are uh, you know, whether they want to be active or passive or what, but like some of these nuances that aren't, you know, sort of front page stuff. I, I think it's a very, very smart mm -hmm, strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm no expert on selling because we've never sold anything, but you're absolutely right that a potential buyer would say, well, you know, I can't manage it that way, or I can't do this no clearance. So our master plan who knows if it will come, but I'm just going to speak it into reality enough times until 20 years from now it happens, is that we'll sell the whole portfolio as a single package with the property management company. Yeah. And so we'll say, you can carry on these operations because here is the company that's been doing yeah. it for the last you know, 20 or 25 years. And in doing so, the you know the a lot of our properties are like that 20 to 50 unit um, size that, you know, they're a little too big for an individual family, but they're a little too small for an institutional buyer. But by packaging them up with a portfolio of single family homes, and then a portfolio of large buildings, like 100 to 200 unit buildings with the management. So our, our yeah. long range vision is that sale will be one single package sale. Again, who knows if that will come to fruition? I don't want anyone to listen and invest for that reason. But it's certainly yeah. the vision that Nick and I have yeah. as we're thinking about the final exit for the company. Yeah, it makes total sense. It's it's like you know, like it's an an equity roll up, right? You want to you want to get as much as you can in, and you sell it to an institutional buyer that is, they they don't even necessarily. I mean, they care about the returns, but like, they they care more about the safety of it. In in exactly. a lot of instances, yep. they care about like the reliability and the safety of the return. So they'll take a slightly lower return to know that it's you know it's already a, a well-oiled machine that's been operating that's right. and has everything vertically integrated so yeah it's it's very very smart um what is what is your role what are you kind of you know there's a lot of different roles in in real estate and and uh generally no one person can do everything but, but what's your mm -hmm. your niche uh focus so we have two major companies, Black Swan Real Estate, which is our asset management company, and then Black Swan Living, which is our property management company. And in general, I run Black Swan Real Estate. So I set the strategy of the company, the overall goals. I work with our investors. I work with our attorneys, accountants, those folks. And then my husband runs Black Swan Living. So he's interacting day to day with our property management staff, hiring those folks, putting systems and processes into place, growing the operational side of the business. 
right? Um, we, we joke that I raise the money and he spends it. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. And that's I have a, veto power over how he spends it. There, well, that's a good position to be in. You raise <laughs> the money and also get to say no on spending it. So that's that's a good position to be in. Um, how are you how do you find new investors, you know, kind of if you're, if you're raising the money, what's, what's your approach um, in that, in that avenue? Well, I, I, you know, kind of, I, I have no institutional background or Wall Street background or anything like that. I come from medicine, was growing the company. And I have found that working with investors has been very intuitive because I don't come from Wall Street or because I don't come from private equity. So I've always thought of our investors as very much just people we have relationships with. I have my calendar link is on our website, meetblackswan.com. Anyone can block a time on my calendar and speak to me about who they are, what their goals are, what their fears are, what their mindset is, why they're interested in investing. I'd say about 65% of our investors are physicians. So, you know, I have a, a big role in the physician space of leading people that are, you know, burnt out in medicine and helping them with mindset and lifestyle and then passive income opportunities. About 35% are not physicians. Nick's not a physician. He, you know, came from a background in tech. And then, you know, as, as we grow, many of our investors are, you know, a few stages removed from us. So, you know, maybe a physician met me at a conference a few years ago, invested with us, and now their dad and their cousin invests with us. Yeah. So repeat investors, referrals, um, just really, you know, tapping into folks that enjoy the model, that know that it's very different, that understand how we de-risked the model as much as possible that are very interested in that true generational wealth where they're getting returns for 20 to 25 years. They're not on this like investment treadmill where they're you know coming off of the treadmill every couple of years and that want a personal relationship with the people that they invest with. We do lots of Zoom calls. We have a very active Facebook community. We have an event here in Rochester once per year where both investors and non-investors can come out and we have like a networking night on Friday night. On Saturday, we do real estate education all day. Saturday night, we do mindset and legacy, uh, like a, a mindset and legacy seminar. And then Sunday, we get a, a charter bus and we drive around and tour all the properties. So we're very like hands-on, piercing the veil of private equity. People that want to be passive investors because they're busy in their careers and with their families and their own hobbies, but like to feel like they're part of the action and like to know exactly who they're investing with. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. It's a great idea. I, I love how everything is kind of intertwined. It just you know, vertically integrated property management, it, it, and and being having everything be local it just allows you to to do do events like that where it's like. Mm -hmm you know we're going to drive around and look it's not you're not just seeing one property like <laughs> drive all around uh rochester and see you know many yep. many many different assets so I and, think that's, and then that's people really can cool see you know this is the year that we acquired it and it's not mm -hmm. in very good condition and here are a few renovations that we've started and then come back the subsequent year and see that building yeah. with the renovation complete and so they can see with their own eyes and i think it really clicks in a way of yeah. Oh, this makes sense to me. I understand now how this building is worth so much more that you can go to the bank and get that cash out refi to return capital. So we love doing that annual event. It's it's really you know the highlight of the year. We just did it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Our next one is in May, um, and it's just so. And our investors all like each other because they're all so common. You know, they have so much in common. It's it's just it's a lot of fun. That's definitely what keeps it interesting for me. I, I don't know if it's the psychiatrist in me or, or what it is, but 
um, you know, real estate is interesting, but we've done it for so many years that it's become, you know, a little bit of bread and butter, but working with our investors and understanding who they are and what they're using this money for. And, you know, seeing in my mind, like they're using it for their kids and putting kids through college or aging parents or, you know, cutting down a, a week, a, a day, a week at work. That's what keeps me motivated. That's what gets me up in the morning, yeah. you know, you know, speaking to knowing your why when there's a tough decision I have to make, I always try to visualize my investors in my mind of, you know, they need this yeah. money to cut back at work or to take care of their parents or whatever. How can I best make this decision to get to that reality? Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, that's what we, we're basically problem solvers, I suppose. I think in medicine as well, we're problem solvers, but the, the, we're, we're at, in, in an investor relations standpoint, we're problem solvers for our investors. What are, what are they trying to, uh, what problems are they trying to solve? How can we help them? Uh, your husband as a, as a, you know, property and asset manager is, is solving the problems at the property level, you know, and it all goes together. That that's really what the, the big picture is, is like, how many problems can we solve to make mm -hmm. you know, the overall picture that much better? Um, so cool. Well, Elaine, I want I want to switch gears so I can get to ask you the questions that I ask every guest. Um, the sure. first one you've touched on it a bit. You know, I ask every guest, "What is your why?" Um, you've mentioned a few things here and there. I wanted to just give you the opportunity to expand on that. But you know, kind of what what really um, drives you? You've <laughs> successful. Uh, you're a doctor. Successful in real estate. There's there's a lot of um, opportunities that you could say I'm done and and I'm just going to retire and, and live happily ever after, but obviously not the route that you've taken, at least at this point. I think, I think for my own self, very much having autonomy and agency. And, you know, I shared that, you know, just seeing the struggles that my parents had growing up and just the stress that money caused for them and knowing that I wanted something different for my own children and then when I saw that unfold, you know, it, it was it was almost like magic. Like I had created this life that I had thought that I would create for, you know, many years. And there was there just such, such a sense of lightness that came with that. And seeing as a psychiatrist, you know, how much people struggle when they feel trapped, when they feel trapped by money or a relationship or whatever it is. And knowing that, you know, the financial piece is not all of it but it's, it's a big part of it. And that if we can get people out of that feeling of trappedness in their financial world, that they have a better sense of agency and autonomy in other areas of their life. And I've seen it time and time and time again with our investors. Like there's a, there's a common number. People want 10,000 per month and they have this like belief that when they get there, everything will be okay. But when they get to like a thousand or 2000 per month in passive income, they 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 get to the outcome that they were looking for at 10,000 per month simply because they feel different because they yeah. feel like they have agency they feel like they can you know go to work and say hey i don't want to work nights and weekends anymore or i want this you know different assignment or move jobs or you know ask for a point 8 schedule whatever it is and so helping people with agency and autonomy and having a sense of control over their own life um you know, so much of, of my real estate world has been blended with mindset, right? I think it has to be when you're making these big decisions every single day. And so sharing those lessons as much as I can with the people in my world, the, you know, the team members that work for us, just, just giving people a sense that you control your life and you can, 90% of it is your mindset. 
10% of it is the tactics. I can help you with the tactics piece. I can help you with investing and getting passive returns. The mindset piece, that's the part that I love to help people with because that is, that's the ticket that you can get that so much faster. You don't have to wait until you have that mythical number of monthly passive income. Yeah. It is, it is really so exciting to see someone when you're talking to them and then they get it. Like you see that almost like yes. that switch flip between, yes. uh, you know, that, that there, there may be um, limiting beliefs or, or scarcity mindset. And then you kind of come to them with that, with, with all the points that you're making here. And it's like, no, like this is, this is the the way you need to think about this. And when people get it, it's, it really is like so rewarding, so exciting. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's maybe again, maybe relating it to medicine is just like, it, you feel like you are actually fixing someone or like helping, you know what I mean? Helping them, yeah. uh, you know, with, with their pain. So I think uh, it is very, very powerful. Um, tell us something about yourself that isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, uh, anything that you're comfortable sharing that, that maybe lets people know you a little better. Hmm. I would say it probably maybe is common knowledge, but one of the things that is really, you know, kind of a driving force in my life is I really want a large family. Um, that's, you know, certainly the biggest driver in my personal life. So we we have four children. Um, we have a fifth child, Isaiah, who passed away at birth. We hope for five or six living children. And that's really been you know, kind of the drumbeat for me over the last decade of my life is, you know, finishing medical school, residency, building the business, and then building this family, right? And that's what makes it all worth it. That, you know, we, you know, we have this long range with our real estate investments. That's great. We have this long range with this family of, you know, we love raising our children. We love playing with them. These are the hard years I've heard when, you know, everyone's in diapers and all sorts of stuff, but really like, I'm very excited about being a grandma. Like that's what's really exciting for me is when these kids have kids and when we're all together for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so just seeing that future vision and knowing that that's what I'm working for and asking myself, you know, each day, what do I say to the children? How do I treat them? What activities do we do? What values do I instill in them so that we get that future where they, you know, they're married with children and living their lives and we're, you know, Nick and I are a big part of their lives. Um, so I wouldn't say that's necessarily Anyone that's my Facebook friend knows that. I'm always talking about the kids and posting about them. And yeah. people are like, when are you guys going to stop? And I'm like, not yet. We want we want to fill up a minivan. That's kind of the that's the 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 boundary for me. I don't want to go past a minivan, but we yeah. haven't quite filled a minivan yet. Um, that's that's definitely the thing that is you know the biggest driver in my personal life. Amazing, amazing. I I I think two is a lot sometimes, and uh, <laughs> you, you have four and want more. So. I, but I get it. I mean, I, I love, I, I just love what the kids almost like, I, I love being around with them, playing with them. I love what they represent from a, from a future standpoint is just like, I love watching their stages of development and seeing like what, what, you know, like rediscovering a wonder about the world, like through them, right? Like, they're mm -hmm. just like, mm -hmm. look at, look, it's the moon. And you're like, you know what? The moon is kind of amazing. Like, yeah, we, like isn't that sort of weird we that there's you know, a big rock? Right. Like we there. just we take a lot of stuff for granted as as we get yeah. to adulthood, and it's just like the stuff that that they think amazing is is it is like it really is amazing. So, um, super cool. Uh, and also like, 
uh, medical school residency, mom of four, real estate empire. So we, all of this can be done. So no, no one, uh, <laughs> your your uh, living example of that all of this can be done. So also, I'm sure very inspiring to your kids too. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out, what's the best way? Our website is meetblackswan.com. Tells you all about us, the company, our portfolio, the investment structure, has my calendar on there. We also do a once monthly Zoom call. We call it our community power hour where we teach about a particular topic and then open the floor for Q&A. Once per quarter, we do a live Zoom call as a quarterly update on the assets that are in our private equity funds. And all of that is at meetblackswan.com. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes. My last question for you, Elaine, is tell us something uh, or what piece of advice would you give to someone who is trying to get started in real estate? They hear this, they're inspired, and they're like, what do, what do I do next? I, I'm, I, uh, I, I'm starting that mindset shift. What, what, can I, what steps can I take? You know, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, many people before me have said it, but just take action, right? Like I shared in the beginning where I had the property, we had already decided we were investing in real estate. My mind still told me no, like yeah. your mind will always tell you no. That's, you know, I, I've learned as a psychiatrist and as you know, someone very interested in mindset, that's, that's your mind trying to protect you. And you just have a relationship with your mind where you say, thank you, mind. I heard you. I understand you. If you fight with your mind, your mind just fights back and your mind will very often win. But if you just acknowledge it and you just say, thank you, I understand that you want to keep me safe. Your mind just kind of lets go. Oh, you hear me. Okay. Go about, you know, doing whatever you're going to do. So just get started, right? Even with high interest rates, even with these other things, the strategy never changes. The tactics change all the time. In the 12 years we've been in business, We've had major overhauls of our tactics probably every quarter or maybe every half a year as values changed, as labor and materials changed through COVID, all of those things. You just find the deal that works in that moment, right? And the prices will be different and the structure will be different, but the strategy stays the same. Just get started. And, you know, you know, as I said, when I started this answer, like that's what everyone says, because that's the answer. <laughs> Your mind will always give you a yeah. reason to say no. Yeah. Just get moving. Yeah. Yeah, I'll our, share something from from Gary Keller, you know, great, great mentor of mine. I just I just love learning so much from Gary Keller. I really think of him as one of the brightest minds in all of real estate. And he describes real estate investing. I just love this so much. I wish it was my own work, but it's his. He says that real estate investing is getting on an escalator with a yo-yo. The yo-yo is values, but you don't care about the yo-yo because you're on the escalator. And your job is to get on the escalator and to stay on the escalator as long as possible and to not be distracted by the yo-yo. So if you think about that, right, the escalator's going up and the yo-yo's doing this, like we were talking about earlier, that's the value in the spreadsheet and all of those things. But your job is just to get on the escalator. So either get on the escalator or get more assets on the escalator and then stay on the escalator as long as possible. That comes straight from the mouth of Gary Keller. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, our, our minds are wired to, for survival, not success. And so you're, right. you, you, and it's funny, as you were saying that, like acknowledge your mind, but it made me think of like, like your, like moms, like moms are always trying to like tell you, like, don't do that. Cause you, cause you might get hurt, that kind of thing. And like, 
how many of us like I feel like especially as like a teenager my mom would say, oh, don't do this don't do this and you're like okay mom thanks and you just go do it anyway and like that's <laughs> almost how you have to uh think about you know sort of mm -hmm. real estate and, and entrepreneurship and things like that it's like okay I get it yes there is a little bit of scariness to this but at the end of the day like this is going to make me better this is going to make me stronger that kind of thing awesome absolutely well, thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. This was an uh, amazing conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate everything that you um, shared and, and I appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. And folks listening, I know you're going to love this episode. Uh, please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more great guests like Elaine. And thank you all for listening. Hey there. I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why?